1: One of my favorite things to do as a family is to gather with our kiddos and, and look at old photos and old videos uh, to remember and reminisce of all the things that have happened throughout our lives. One of the things we like to do is we like to sit around the TV. I connect my phone to the TV and I've got all of our photos and videos backed up on my Dropbox and old scanned photos from when my wife and I were dating. Uh, and we put these up on the TV regularly and, and we kind of walk through and t- kind of tell stories about uh, our dating years and how we fell in love and, and, and all the events surrounding our wedding day. Our girls really love also the opportunity to, to go back and, and see themselves as a newborn baby and what life was like as they were growing and how life was different. And then we go through each one of them, watch videos, and um, we just watch videos and, and pictures of each one of them. And for them, it really helps them to understand and appreciate the foundation of our family. You know, so much has changed in the last 19 years, of my wife and I being together and, you know, 15 years being married and with so many kiddos in my family. uh, There's a lot that has changed. But as we go back and we look at the foundation of our family, it allows us to appreciate all that God has done in and through our lives. This morning, in a similar sense, we're going to take a look back at the moments when the church was born. You see these foundational events about how the church was born and how it was formed, uh, how the church initially multiplied, They're important to us in so many ways as believers because it helps us to have a better understanding of how we live out God's mission in the day to day. You see, when we look at these events surrounding the early church and how it was formed, um, I believe it provides some answers to why we gather and um, how are we supposed to, to live in light of who we are as a church. And I truly believe that when we see the church rightly, we can live on mission obediently. So we've been in this series called Like Fire and uh, we've been following this imagery of fire throughout uh, various parts of scripture and it shows up in stories and really connects with the foundation of the early church. And um, you know just a sh- few short weeks ago we celebrated Easter Sunday. Jesus rose again just like he said he kept his promise. He defeated death and sin and hell and the grave once and for all. And these events right after Jesus' resurrection you know, were some trying times for people and uh, they were very unpredictable and very dangerous. And uh, as you can imagine, it was also very exciting and hopeful in anticipation of all that was ahead. And just like the imagery of fire, the movement of the church spreads quickly. So this morning we're gonna be in Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two. So I wanna invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter one, we'll start there and then we'll be in Acts chapter two right after that. So the book of Acts was written by Luke, and um, Luke was also the writer of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, it's important for us to uh, understand Luke and Acts as two parts of the same volume. See, part one, the Gospel of Luke, is the kingdom of God displayed through the ministry of Jesus. And part two, the book of Acts, is the kingdom of God displayed through the multiplication of the church. And what's cool about looking at Acts is if you go to the first three verses or so in the book of Acts, and then if you go to the last couple verses, you'll see that it is is book-ended with this statement, proclaiming the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? All right. The disciples are asking, you know, is it now like Jesus, when is it coming? You know, we hear this statement, the kingdom of God is really uh, the realm in which Jesus rules and reigns. So this is something that we look back to of uh, they were anticipating the kingdom of God coming, but the kingdom of God is also now because Jesus rules and reigns and we are living in light of of his rule and reign. So we see 40 days after Jesus's resurrection, he's teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God and unpacking for them really what it was going to mean for them and and, and how they were going to live in this world. So primarily this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, but we can't start reading Acts chapter 2 without looking at Acts chapter 1 first. So as we start in Acts 1, again, like I said, there's 40 days uh, after Jesus' resurrection. He gathers with his disciples, and, and there in there this, in this first part of chapter 1, he lays out his final words or his instructions for them. You can read verses 3, 4, and 5, and it really tells, uh, tells you the, the instructions that Jesus gives. But what I want you to see here is, is Jesus gives these final words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Acts 1.8, and it's it's possible that many of you know this verse uh, by memory. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, Jesus says you're going to take this good news that I have uh, modeled to you and everything that you've seen me do in my time with you, that you're going to take it and go into all the world and be my witnesses, that you're going to take this and tell others. But before Jesus says this, if you read verses three, four, and five, and I encourage you to do that, he he gives his disciples a command. He says to wait, to wait in Jerusalem, because in a few days from now, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You know, waiting is one of these things that we really don't like to do. I don't know if, uh, you know, just, if you're like me, I really don't like to wait. And we are very impatient people. Uh, in a day, and in, in a culture where we have everything at our fingertips, we can have things now. Uh, Amazon Prime, um, you know, a double drive through at Chick-fil-A, and we can have our, our Chick-fil-A like that. Uh, we are a culture that, that wants things now. A lot of why we don't like waiting, because what it does is it produces anger, fear, and anxiety within us because our expected level of control or the expected time frame that we wanted things to, to, um, uh, to, to have an outcome for it has been compromised. So those are some of the reasons why we don't like to wait. Um, but if you're like me, we, we like waiting for the things um, that we value, you know, say going to Cedar Point or Disney World. You, you'll stand in line and wait for something if there's a reward at the end. Sometimes, though, when it feels like there's no end in the waiting, it allows us, I mean, it causes us to feel discouraged or frustrated and lose hope. And if you're like me, uh, there's been times in this last month, month and a half, where this coronavirus has really just been poking into us, teaching us all uh, about waiting. But I want you to see what the disciples do here when Jesus commands them to go wait. Jesus ascends uh, into heaven. Well, it gets lifted up on this cloud and, and leaves them, but he reminds them, like, you'll receive power here in a few days, but before you do that, I want you to go wait. Verse 12 says, they returned to Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. They were there in the upper room waiting. I love what verse 14 says. It says, all these, right, those who were gathered together, they were in one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers, they were waiting. You see, they were not hiding. They were not running in fear, but they were they they were living their lives in such a posture that they uh, they were anticipating and they were hopeful about the promise that Jesus had just given them. You know, I love that they were they were prayerfully obedient and they were prayerfully expectant. And maybe that's what Jesus is saying to all of us in these moments: Wait, because I'm about to do something amazing in and through you. So, so my word, one word for us this morning is that maybe during this season of waiting that you'd, you'd see it as a time to refocus your heart and really to assess where your affections lie and just press into Jesus and, and allow him to do something amazing in and through you. You see, these believers were waiting. They were waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you're like me, um, growing up in in various types of churches, you probably have not, you know, you've got differing opinions on that, but you you know, we, we, we get unsettled sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit within church. It's, it's mysterious. It kind of makes us uncomfortable. and uh, We don't want to put some weird label on our church by talking about the Holy Spirit too much. But this morning, the, the message in the Word is all about understanding the work of the Holy Spirit through people uh, for the advance in the movement of the gospel uh, in the church. Simply put, God's church and His mission only advance through the power of God through His people. So I'd love for us to dive into Acts chapter 2. So if you could flip over to Acts chapter 2, we're going to read the first 13 verses, and then I'm going to kind of summarize it and unpack it for us, and then try to extract some things that I feel like God is teaching us from this passage together this morning. So if you're at Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. It says this, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each one of us in our own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling our own tongues of the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others mockingly said they are filled with new wine Well there's a lot going on in this passage that I want you to picture here for just a few moments what's happening so the disciples were were instructed or commanded by Jesus to wait there in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit with them, they were gathered with about 120 other believers and it says they were gathered in a house. If you're like me, there's not too many houses that can gather with 120 people or, or host a gathering of 120 people. But there, they were gathering and they were prayerfully waiting, anticipating this Holy Spirit. Uh, the house was probably uh, outside of the house and probably in proximity to where the temple would be there in Jerusalem. And it was 10 days since Jesus had ascended into heaven and promised to send his Holy Spirit. So this was 50 days after, right, Jesus rises again. And and 50 days after happens to be this Jewish festival called Pentecost. This Pentecost was, you know, this significant Jewish festival that gathered uh, many Jewish people from all surrounding nations back to Jerusalem for this feast or this festival. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks. And I'd, I'd encourage you to, to look up and start studying the, the festivals, the Jewish festivals uh, throughout Scripture. They're pretty interesting and help help really bring the Bible to life for you. See, Pentecost was significant because it brought people together. Um, and, and God shows up in a mighty way when they were all together. It was recognizable by all, and he keeps his promise, he sends his spirit, and he makes his present known. What's interesting here is we see wind and we see fire, right? Right. Uh, we see wind, nor we hear wind. The text actually says we, we hear the sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Uh, so there's not a tornado that rushes through the air um, and fills up the entire house. It's actually the sound of the wind showing and proving God's power. And the second thing they see is tongues of fire that were resting on everyone's head. Really some weird imagery there. But God is giving us this audio display of his power and his presence, And all the Jewish people that were gathered at this festival for Pentecost there in Jerusalem, they heard this sound and they saw all the craziness going on and they were amazed and they were perplexed at all that was happening. And all of a sudden they see and they hear this large group of people uh, that they know to be Galileans speaking in their native tongue from where they were. And the, the text says they were bewildered, amazed, and perplexed. Right? Just some crazy words of them saying, Man, this, I don't understand it. Like, what's going on? I've got to get there. Some of the naysayers were looking on saying, you know, mocking this, this group or this gathering, saying, well, these people are just drunk. And Peter goes on to reply and to, to really refute the naysayers. He stands up boldly and sets the record straight. And he says, no, these people that you see are not drunk, okay? Because it's only, you know, the third hour of the morning, the third hour of the day, Uh, really, it's too early. Like, we're all drinking coffee right now. No one's hammered, okay? He sets the record straight, and he says, what you see is the promise of God of sending his spirit and and that being fulfilled. You see, these dramatic events took place to fulfill what God promised, or what Jesus promised in Acts 1.8, that he would send his spirit, and they would receive power when the spirit of God came upon them, and then they would be witnesses uh, for Jesus. But then it also... Um, it is a fulfillment of what the author of Luke and Acts wrote in, in, in Luke chapter 3, 16, where John the Baptist is talking about Jesus and he says, you know, uh, he who comes after me, I will not be able to, you know, hold his sandals, right? I won't be able to untie his sandals because he's greater than I and he is going to be the one that baptizes you with uh, the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we see the Holy Spirit show up in a real tangible way and it really changes forever how we see the church. But the first thing I want us to kind of extract from this text before we go on further and read the rest of it and, and really unpack what God is doing there, is I want us to see uh, God's presence, okay? This, um, this miraculous event is really the turning point in history um, where God's presence, right? The first thing I want you to see is God's presence moves from places to people. God's presence moves from places to people, you see, all throughout the Old Testament, uh, fire is used as a picture of God's presence. And, um, you know, if you read through Exodus and various parts in the Old Testament, God sends a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as a symbol of he was with his people journeying through the through wilderness, through the Exodus. So fire is this symbol of God's presence um, and in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God works differently than what we see in the New Testament. So he, he comes on, on prophets and kings in different times and different seasons. And, and it also, he, he dwells in special places. You see, what we know about God is he's omnipresent, so he's everywhere. But he, he allows his presence through, through the Spirit of God to dwell in places. And uh, that's, that's the reality of what we see in the Old Testament. In Exodus 3, we, we see Moses... Um, encountering this, uh, this, this burning bush, right? When he's walking around in the wilderness and uh, the bush appears to be on fire, but it's not consumed. And, and uh, God speaks to Moses through the burning bush and says, the place, Moses, where you are standing is holy ground. Moses was in the presence of God, this picture of, of fire and God's presence. Also, we see in Exodus that, that God chooses to dwell in a special way in a place called the tabernacle, Uh, There was this giant tent of meeting where sacrifices for sins could be made and God would come down as a consuming fire and be present with his people. We see in 2 Samuel uh, that the presence of God would dwell in something called the Ark of the Covenant. So the presence of God was was in the Ark of the Covenant. And if you got too close to it, or uh, if you touched it, you were were encountering the presence of God. And uh, there's even stories throughout scripture that you couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant or look inside of it or else you would die. You see, First Kings uh, talks about the tabernacle being replaced by what was called the temple or what is called the temple. And uh, God's presence then now dwells in the temple here in 1 Kings. Um, and to access the presence of God, people would have to make their way to the temple, um, but then have... Uh, really direct access to God by going through a high priest, by bringing atonement for their sin, for the sacrifice. They had to bring some type of payment, right? A spotless lamb or, 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 or an animal that could be slaughtered to sacrifice for for the payment of their sins. Because they were sinful, they couldn't be in God's presence, and they needed to offer up a sacrifice at the temple through the high priest to, to make atonement for their sins, You see, what's interesting about all that's happening here in Acts chapter 2, and really the timing of all this, um, and and all the things that I've read this week, I, I found out this is really pretty interesting. Thousands of years earlier, probably around the same time, right? 50 days after Passover, God confirmed the validity of the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments. Moses is up on top of Mount Sinai, and God sends down fire from heaven to a specific place, right? Exodus 19, 18. And many scholars believe that this is happening at the same time. But in the New Testament, God confirms the validity of his mission by sending the Holy Spirit and showing up like fire from heaven to a people. So at Sinai, fire came down in one place. And at Pentecost, fire came down to a people, symbolizing that God's presence is now available to all who believe in Jesus. So what's happening here in Acts chapter 2 is this massive shift uh, God's presence now being available through the spread of the gospel, through the, the spread of the Holy Spirit, through people. And uh, today, uh, you and I, who are followers of Jesus, we have the the spirit of God living inside of us, right? The Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we have that power living within us. That also means today that we have direct access to God. Like I said, people in the Old Testament couldn't step into God's presence without payment for their sin. But because of the work of Jesus and his death on the cross, right, he took our shame, our guilt, uh, all the things that we we struggle with and we're entangled with, uh, the brokenness that exists in our world today, he took that upon himself and he paid for that on the cross for you and me. That atonement or that that purchase or that paying for is something Jesus did, right, as a sacrifice for our sins to give us access to the presence of God. Because of Jesus, we've been forgiven. We've been deeply loved. We've been adopted into his family. And because of Jesus, all people now can be filled with the presence of God through the power of his spirit. So again, like I said, we see this massive shift of what's happening in the church. God's presence moving from places to people. And church, hopefully that comforts you this morning. You know, on days that we're tired or or weary or we just really want to give up, Uh, just feeling lonely. It's a great reminder that we have a God who is present and a God who is powerful. You see, we have a God who is with us and he wants to speak to us through the power of his word. So you're not alone. This morning, you can abide in the presence of Jesus. The next thing I want us to see this morning as a church is um, the Holy Spirit gives us power to proclaim. Okay, God's, God's presence moves from places to people and then His Spirit gives us the power to proclaim. We did see the imagery of fire here relating to God's presence, right? And this imagery of tongues and tongues of fire resting on the heads of people, like I said, was kind of like this weird imagery. And it never happened before throughout all of Scripture. And it will never happen again in all of Scripture. And this phenomenon really was this miracle that God did um, in, in, in this place through these people to emphasize the point that he was present on each one of their lives, that he had poured out their spirit, keeping poured out his spirit, keeping his promise on those who were believers. Verse four in Acts chapter two says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, when we read that, it's possible that the word tongues um, in this verse troubles us a little bit. Uh, depending on the church context that you grew up in. Uh, But I want us to see that the word tongues here is the same word that is used for languages. Once they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're speaking, they're speaking powerfully, and they're speaking other languages. You see, these tongues of fire give us the imagery of communication, right? Easy for me to say, communication, clear communication. And what they're saying uh, is really summarized in verse 11. It says they're proclaiming uh, the by in their own tongues the mighty works of God. So it's important for us to note that they're not just speaking some gibberish or some heavenly language that needed to be interpreted, right? Uh, they're speaking the mighty works of God. they're speaking of this good news that they had experienced. that people around were amazed uh, and perplexed because they understood what the disciples were saying in their own native tongue. You know, we don't have a ton of time to get into the discussion surrounding tongues this morning, but simply put, I want us to recognize that God was doing something unique during this time. Like I said, regular tongues of fire don't show up when when those who respond uh, by faith and repent of their sin and turn to Jesus, you know, fire doesn't show up over your head. Um, You know, I think if we try to get into this and compare it to what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, and kind of parse the language there of tongues, I think we're missing the point of what God was trying to do here. What he's trying to do is the Holy Spirit is giving the church power to proclaim the good news of Jesus in their native tongue so that they would understand that salvation alone comes through Jesus. Right? In many ways, this passage in Acts is the reversal of what's happening in Genesis chapter 11. What's going on in Genesis chapter 11, right? The the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, if you don't know much about that story, I'll just highlight highlight it really quick for you. Everyone in the known world up to this point, up to Genesis chapter 11, spoke the same language. You know, they came together um, and they they began to build this city and they began to build this tower uh, in their pride, so that they could reach up to heaven and get to God. They were essentially saying. You know, we want to get to God and God look at us because we can get to you and we don't need you. Um, but God in his judgment, you know, he scatters the people all over the world. He he confuses their language and gives every group a different language. So this is where we see, right, the story of Tower of Babel where the language were languages were dispersed and people were dispersed all over the world. So now, right, all these people are in different parts of the world speaking the The same language, right? And uh, they're not speaking the same language. How would the gospel go out and be heard and understood? Like I said, this is really the reversal of Babel and this new covenant that Jesus came to to break through uh, for us, right? At Babel, the nations were scattered and languages were confused. But at Pentecost, the language barrier was overcome and the nations were united in Jesus. You know, this chapter um, of Acts chapter two is really the foundation of the church. And like I said, it's important for us to see the church rightly and to appreciate the birth and the foundation of the church so we we understand our role within the church and we know how to live as the church. I want to summarize verses 14 through 41 for you. This is one of Peter's famous sermons, right? The sermon at Pentecost. And uh, Peter stands up and boldly proclaims to all the people that were gathered there, and, and heard and saw everything. Right, these tongues of fire and this the sound of the mighty rushing wind. Peter stands up, and um, and, and really reminds them of what the prophet Joel said in Joel chapter two. What that they what they're seeing is is being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. He says directly to all the people, the same Jesus that you killed, the same Jesus that you arrested and killed and crucified was raised from the dead. God raised him up and seated him at the right hand of himself. And uh, this God has poured out his spirit to us. And uh, that what you see is his spirit um, being poured out to his people. That's what you're seeing and hearing. And when these people heard this message from Peter, this strong message, it says that they were cut to the heart. And uh, Peter's word was really the strong message of repent and turn from your sin and be baptized and turn in faith to Jesus. You know, he, he says in this chunk of scripture, I, I encourage you to go read it. He says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It says those who received his word were baptized and added to the church. And it says around 3000 people were, were, were added to the church that day. Probably one of the most miraculous gospel proclamations of the church and the foundations of the movement of the church. God shows up and does this mighty miracle and says, "You know what? I'm going to add thousands of people uh, to the church and then give you a tongue to di- to disperse this out and get the gospel and get this good news out to the known world." You know, it's easy to look at this sermon or this message by Peter and man uh, say, "Oh man, great message, Peter. It was really good. Well done." You know, we forget that it was the power of the Spirit of God moving and working and speaking through him. You know, sometimes we get to thinking something like that would never happen in our day, right? We get stuck going through the motions of church and and, in various rhythms. And we say, you know, uh, we can get caught up believing um, that, you know, something like that would would never happen here. You know, we get calloused and satisfied doing church so much without the power of God. Um, that we really can get caught up in plans and strategies and in services. And r- really what we do is we neglect tapping into the power of God through his spirit. I love what David Platt says in his book, Radical. He's got a chapter that, that talks about shifting from dependence on ourselves to being desperate for the Holy Spirit. He says this, he says, this is where I'm most convicted as a pastor that I am part of a system that has created a whole host of means and methods, plans and strategies for doing church that require little, if any, power from God. I'm frightened by the reality that the church I lead can carry most of our activities, never realizing that the Holy Spirit of God is virtually absent from the picture. You see, North Canton Chapel family, may this not be true about us. You know, I think during this this season of waiting and being in quarantine, it's taught us as a staff to really press into Jesus, that we're reminded that, that strategies and plans and programs don't matter. It's about abiding in Jesus and allowing him to refresh our focus during this season. You see, the foundation of the church is really about God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and he gives them power to do it. He gives them the power to live out the gospel every day to everyone. So in a very real sense, when you look at the foundation of the church in Acts 1 and Acts 2, uh, it it really is still being written through us, his church. Those of you who are believers in Jesus, who are followers of Jesus, we are waiting expectantly for the return of Jesus, but we're also living out the mission of God each day, right? Every day to everyone. It's easy for us to, to, to look at Acts 2 and say, wow, that is the model church. That was miraculous. And again, I, I don't believe that's ever possible, right? We, we can get skeptical on that. But let me let me remind you that um, it is possible only through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in people uh, to do this. It's not something that we do. It's something that God does in us. You know, if you look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, really is this model of community, an authentic community, and it's been preached many times here at our church because Right, we we talk about this model church. The group is, I mean, the the church is right gathered and scattered, and uh, the church is a people and not a place. I love what Acts two forty two through forty seven talk about. It really, uh, it really goes into the posture of how they're living. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were they were pressing into Jesus. They were devoted to fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, and all was upon every soul and. All who believed were selling their possessions and, and giving those up and making sacrifices as any had need, right? And day by day, they were together, breaking bread, receiving food with glad and generous hearts and praising God and having favor with people. So the church functions as the church when we take the right posture. When we gather together and we press into Jesus and we, we, we allow his spirit to move in and through us, then we actually can live obediently as the church, You know, we get to experience fully during these unprecedented times of quarantine of not being able to gather. And we appreciate what the gathering means and looks like for the church. But like I said, the church is gathered and scattered. Uh, The church is not a building. Uh, The church is a people. And uh, it's beautiful because right now, even though we can't gather, uh, the church is still alive and still active and the mission of God is still moving forward, right? The church is not... Quarantined. Our gathering is quarantined, but the mission of God is not quarantined. The mission of God is still moving in and through the lives of obedient followers of Jesus. You know, there's maybe some who who watch this today and say, "Look, we're we've been in the season of not gathering. We don't need to gather. We can just stay at home and just me and me and Jesus. You know, I can spend time in the Word and I'm good, right? We don't need other people." And uh, I just would encourage you to um, to really search the Scriptures because. Uh, We were designed for community. Hebrews 10.25 talks about uh, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, right? It's ingrained within us to desire people and to desire community. And uh, we all are longing for that gathering right now. And uh, what I will say is the gathering church, even though right now we're scattered, the gathering church is here to stay. Uh, People need people and we all need each other. And I'm excited about the days ahead and looking forward in anticipation for the days ahead when we do get together in this place and and hug and and talk face-to-face and really just communicate about all that God's doing in and through our lives. I've also heard it said that God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission, right? The church, like I've said today, is God's plan A for the advancement of the gospel in the world. For you and for me and for all who are followers of Jesus, right? We are the body of Christ and we make up a certain role and function within this body. That Jesus has a, uh, a goal of, uh, and a purpose of what we are supposed to do every day. You know, it doesn't happen, this church, this movement of the gospel doesn't happen with, without you and I doing our part in cultivating a deeper relationship with Jesus, spending time in his word, hearing from his spirit, right? And, and really nurturing the spirit of God in our life. Like I said in the beginning, when we see the church rightly, we live out God's mission obediently. So this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that you'd find comfort in looking at the foundation of the church. Just like as I sit in front of uh, my screen with my family and look at pictures and videos about how it all began and the importance of our family, that we would do the same thing. We would look back at the foundation of the church and allow that to motivate us to live differently. You know, that we we would see that as an opportunity to press into Jesus and, and live in his power and his presence and to proclaim, uh, right, the good works and the good news of Jesus. That we would cultivate and, and really just spend time growing in a relationship with him and use this season of waiting, uh, to, to really refocus our priorities and, and press into Jesus. Like I said, and maybe this morning you're living in this tension. Um, after I've talked about the spirit of God and him being present in your life and, and, um, and and you having the power to proclaim the good news, and maybe you're still living in this tension. You say, you know what, Dave, I don't feel like I've got the power the presence of God in my life. Um, You know, I I just don't know what to say. I've not ever been one who has faithfully stepped in to speak the truths about God. My prayer for you this morning is that you would look inwardly in your own heart, in your own life, um, that you'd assess your heart because God's word is clear, right? The spirit of God uh, living in you, there is fruit of that that should show up. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control like these are all things that should be right nurtured and developed and as the spirit is moving and developing and working and growing us like these are things that should be evident in our own life and if you're sitting here this morning saying dave i'm living in this tension that i don't feel god's presence i don't possess these these fruits of the spirit and I don't feel his power in my life, then my prayer for you is that you would respond to the message that Peter preached in Acts 2, 14 through 41, to repent and believe the gospel. Because it's as simple as that. Maybe you're holding on to something. uh, Maybe it's a level of control. Maybe it's something uh, of your past. Maybe it's, you know, thinking of you have to atone for your own sins you don't have to hold on to that anymore, right? Trust and and by faith step into what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Respond by faith to the gospel, right? Peter's message in Acts 2 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Recognize that today God wants to do something in and through your life. And maybe even look at this season of, of quarantine and waiting, that maybe today is the day of salvation for you, that God wants to Penetrate your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and change you so that he can change the world. Well, I'd love to pray and close our time out together this morning, but just encourage us to continue to spend time in God's Word and uh, remember that the foundation of the church should motivate us to live differently uh, and like fire, right, spread this good news to a lost and dying world. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the time that we've had in your Word. Fathers, we look to the foundation of how it all began for the church. I think we step back from that and we realize that sometimes these miracles that we read about in scripture um, seem so far off and so far unattainable. But God, you are, the, you are the same God who moved and worked in those times as you are today. That God, you are desiring to uh, be present in our lives and give us power to be your witnesses, to proclaim your truth. Uh, to see our role as the church, right? Not just as the gathering, but scattered as the people of God, loving people unconditionally and sacrificially and loving neighbors and stepping into hard spaces with people because you've done that with us. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Would you just continue to allow us to worship you in all that we say and do this week? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.